0: Welcome to another episode of Trivia Album um, with myself, Stephen Carney and... Myself, Zach Today we're going to talk about... I know we'll probably say this over a couple episodes, but this one is probably one of our favourite albums. It's by The Foo Fighters, and it's called The Colour and the Shape, which was the second studio album by The Foo's. Um, It was released on May 20th, 1997, and it marked the official debut of Foo Fighters as a band, as a whole, I guess. Whereas Grohl, on the first album, he pretty much recorded everything himself. But, I guess now that you think, now that we've been kind of looking through this, he kind of played a lot of the stuff anyway on the album, didn't he, Deco?
1: Yeah, he did. He kind of, um, it was, so they went to um, Bear Creek in Washington, and they are doing some recordings, and... uh, for whatever reason, Grohl wasn't happy with um, with the recordings and he scrapped most of them. So um, it was mainly the drums because uh, um, they had William Goldsmith as a drummer at that point, And Dave wasn't happy with um, what what his drum tracks were like. So he just pretty much just recorded the whole lot um, himself. And um, I think Dahl and Up In Arms are still little bits of uh, Goldsmiths. Um, he's credited on some of those. Um, but uh, up in arms, I think it's only the, the slow bit at the start or something like that. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so just, um, you know, uh, as we know, ghostsmith then, he just he just left the band after that when, when all his drum tracks were, were overdone by by Dave.
0: I mean, from what, from what I've, I've read, and I'd say everybody's read this whole thing, like um, William Goldsmith was actually in a band. I don't know whether you know this, Deco. He was in a band called Sunnydale Real Estate. Sunny Day, sorry, Real Estate hmm. with Nate Mandel. So that's how they started. They're kind of like a moodier Weezer. That's the way I'd describe it. Cool. Okay, I didn't know that. No. Yeah. uh they like. There's. They've got some really, really banging tracks. William and Nate were both in that, and I think that's where Grohl obviously kind of saying that they're talented. Yeah. Kind of like in terms of the band, they were solid beats and kind of riffs and all the stuff that that nate mandel comes up with Definitely. but um yeah i mean it, in terms of that with with goldsmith i do know that gil norton the producer of the color in the shape um, he also produced some of the pixies mm-hmm. albums yeah um, i think that's why Grohl wanted him on it but apparently he was notorious for being an absolute asshole in terms of Mm -hmm. whatever he wanted, which I think was a change from what Grohl had. And I think he made him um, write lyrics that actually meant something rather than the gibberish that as Norton said that Grohl wrote on the first album, which a lot of the tracks don't really make much sense. So he made him Mm -hmm. actually sit down and write lyrics. And I think for Grohl, it was probably the first time that he actually started writing about around the time of when it was. And it's yeah. a, just I'm just going to read something very quick mm-hmm. about in terms of the liner notes yeah. that Nate Mandel actually kind of recalled about like it's in the 10th anniversary reissue of The Color and the Shape. And uh, he, he kind of talks about, you know, the album success, but it came with a heavy price. And he says, um, while recording this record, two marriages fell apart. We lost the drummer. Someone nearly went to jail and we discovered late in the day that record making is hellishly expensive and best done with a budget prepared beforehand nice so i mean it 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 is probably one of my favorite albums of all time but you can definitely sense that there was a bit of struggling going on in terms of the tracks like it's a lot cleaner obviously than the first album but it's overall i think it was worth it i don't know
1: yeah yeah i think um definitely i think there's quite something quite similar from the uh, from the Metallica's Black album as well. I think I remember someone coming out saying that a couple of marriages fell apart while they were recording that and everything. But again, you know, some 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 might dispute it, but a great album at the end of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it you know, I mean, in terms of as we said about the first album, it was a lot of demos, but this one really did, I think, kind of push and make Roll kind of really work hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where even as we were talking about William Goldsmith, that that's why. The Drummond wasn't up to scratch in terms with Norton and Grohl. So Grohl apparently wanted him to continue. Uh, touring after re- re-recording his parts but goldsmith declined saying he wanted to create music not make money uh, goldsmith also claims the turmoil he experienced during this period led him to self-medicate with alcohol and drugs though he's now sober which is insane things remain yeah things remain frosty between goldsmith and Grohl, though goldsmith has admitted he's open to patching things up especially since he's heard Grohl feels similarly so um and he as he says here just at the end that i i've been uh given the impression he feels bad about the way things went goldsmith yeah. said uh, if he feels bad about how things went uh then why hasn't he tried to get a hold of me all you would have yeah. to do is sit down and talk it out with me now just one thing like it's just off the top of my head but yeah in in the foo fighters documentary Grohl does talk about it but also uh, something that i don't think a lot of people would even Passingly heated, but it's actually Pat Smear that kind of gives a bit more of an indication of exactly how it went down. They, they ended up kind of leaving for the Christmas. There, there was, they were on a break that kind of said, right, we've pretty much most of the stuff down the drums and the bass and the guitars, the basic stuff was done. So, you know, we'll come back after the Christmas, after the break, and finish off whatever we're doing. So it ended up that I think it was kind of put off for maybe a a couple of months and then more months. And then Pat Smear rang Goldsmith and asked him um, what time was he going to the studio at? Because finally, Grohl had finished... The stuff that he was doing and he was going in to kind of lay down one or two guitar bits or whatever he, pat smear was doing all oh, right so he, he didn't know <laughs> goldsmith hadn't a clue and i think it was it was about maybe four or five months goldsmith just thought he was waiting around waiting for the tracks to be mm. kind of you know this vocal parts and all the extra kind of stuff to be put on it which i think after i think he must have made him do an incredible amount of takes that he talked about what was it um yeah so i have it here actually it's 96 takes of wow. one song and uh, he had to do 13 hours worth of takes on another one <laughs> Jeez. 13 hours yeah now it's not really painting Grohl in the best of the lights but i think in terms of that norton was notorious for just being an, an asshole with that yeah he, it was his way
1: or no
0: way like that, i think that's just the way you always on but anyway
1: i say it was the pressure coming down on from from growl onto onto ghost but maybe yeah
0: yeah i think so yeah in terms with the album as well uh, do you want to talk about the inspiration behind it?
1: Um, yeah, it was uh, from Groh's divorce, wasn't it? From he was yeah. married to a photographer, Jennifer Youngblood, and um, they they, they reckon that it was um, sort of the lyrical sort of um, inspiration. It, it was all it was all around the breakup, and the tr- the, the tracklist and is uh, designed to resemble a therapy session, hmm. and the sort of the album is kind of split up between you know up tempo tracks. And then ballads sort of to reflect the conflicting emotions um between the between the two of them, and they also but um that that's kind of supported by the fact that there's a therapist couch on the album cover as well. Mm. You know, it's kind of when I sort of notice. You know, you can you you can listen back when you do know it and kind of get that feel for it. You know.
0: Yeah absolutely i mean um like i think they also there was something that was always in my head about where the actual name came from and the album's title was inspired by a bowling pin that the band's tour manager purchased at a thrift shop and this is Grohl talking about it that he says the title is kind of like an inside joke that we have with the band uh when we were on tour our tour manager was always out shopping every day before the show and buying really weird stuff. He'd come back with these really huge candles from 1947, and the next day he came back with a lamp with Jesus on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one day he came, he comes in to the dressing room with this bowling pin, a red one with white stripes, and he said, look what I bought today. Uh, and then Grohl said, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you buy a bowling pin? And the tour manager said, because I like the color and I like the shape. There you go. There you go. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Like it, it is one of those things where it sounds really profound, and it's something about love. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know, and it's just about that, which is, which is brilliant. Like you know, as you said, in in terms with, like, I never really thought about it in terms with that, with the whole therapy thing, because I mean, even back then when it was released, you kind of, you never yeah. knew what was exactly going on in terms with that with like mm-hmm. the divorce with Grohl and I mean, you know, you only kind of see this stuff kind of coming out after a couple of years or so. So yeah, it kind of makes sense now that in terms of it is kind of a whole therapy session.
1: Yeah, it's, it is it, it's pretty cool when you listen back to it. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah.
0: But yeah, I think he said that he, he he the album should have been called like it would be called My Therapist's
1: Couch. Yeah. Doesn't have the same doesn't have the same uh, ring to it, does he? You wouldn't no. go and buy My Therapist Couch.
0: Yeah. So the track listing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, different um, different versions, isn't there? You know, like on the the originally on the original version brought out in ninety ninety seven, there was uh, sorry ninety six. It was um, thirteen songs. Yeah, so um, they left off the title song. I think they left it out because I, I think it kind of conflicted with the with the style the style of the rest of the songs. You know, it was too too um, too different in style to, to all the other songs in the album.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. Like I I honestly. Like we were just talking about this before we started recording that Mm. I never heard it until the 10 year anniversary edition because I I always heard of the kind of color in the shape track, Mm -hmm. but I could never find it. Um, Because I think in Ireland where we are, that obviously we only had the 13 songs that it ends with New Way Home and that was it. And I never even thought about it. I think it was on, it's on the Monkey Wrench single. That's what it's on. Okay, it's a beat. And I actually it's the only one that i don't have from the first couple of albums like i have all the rest of them except mm-hmm. that one so that's typical like but um yeah but yeah like the, I, I i think it's an awesome track like it's really heavy mm-hmm. it, uh, but as you said i think it would be kind of a bit psychotic in terms of that there is a beginning a middle and an end
1: yeah of that whole yeah probably to- probably would have been better on the first album maybe you know more sort of yeah Raw and uh, I'd say probably more suited to the to the first album, but um, you know, it's it's good that they did bring it out um, because you know the whole message was was different when it came out that number of years later. You know, there wasn't it wasn't just the the a message about this the whole therapy session and everything. You know, they were kind of that was gone. You know, that was them feelings were gone, and they said that they just on to the end of it.
0: Yeah, no, it, I mean, yeah, I I think as as a album in full, I mean you'd be kind of pushed to kind of say what track would you kind of get rid of in terms of like Mm. that'd be more obviously everybody likes songs more than others obviously we're going to talk about some of the most famous Foo Fighters tracks on this but Mm -hmm. I mean if you throw in even something yeah I won't bother naming them we'll talk about that when we're going through the tracks but I mean it's pretty difficult to kind of pick out one that you wouldn't want on the album because I think it's just fits perfectly but yeah let, do you want to start with the first track daco
1: yeah cool yeah yeah so the first track is doll and it's quite quite weird that you start an album off with like a song that's like it's less than two minutes i think it's even less than a minute and a half but it's mm. but it's like you know it's it's that sort of that sort of easy sort of uh easy sort of start to the album you know it's kind of just to Un, you know undistorted guitar just a clean guitar playing away and him him singing and then you got the drums coming in then and you know it's very it's quite poppy you know i'd you know if, if they would extended it with like you know another verse you know double chorus but a bridge in it or something you know and um you know it could could very easily have been the first single It's you know um, off the album, alas, to the lesser as it was, but um, Dave dave Grohl sort of um said that it's a song about being afraid to enter into something you're not prepared for, so mm. straight away you kind of get that feeling from it, you know, kind of the start of the relationship, you know, and uh, yeah but um, that's um, yeah, so that that's what the song is about. It's it's a it's a nice song, like you know, it's it's written by um, it's written by Grohl, Nate, and Pat, um, mm. so uh, yeah, there's that that's you know, it's only a minute and a half, like there's not really a massive amount to say about it other
0: than that it is a though. like it, yeah it is as, as you said i think mean, most foo fighters albums kind of kick in in terms of to have one kind of heavy mm. track to kind of kick it up straight away but that one is a bit of a throw off and i kind of i think it is almost like an introduction to the rest of those tracks it's kind of yeah. going you know here's an easy one to kind of get it going because obviously when it kicks in the second track, Monkey Wrench, I mean, it's kind of, it's off from the start, then it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's no way back in terms of that. But yeah, yeah like, clearly. so Gold, was Goldsmith credited on the album for playing on that?
1: No, nope. no, he wasn't. No, it was just uh, credited for uh, for Dave Rowe, Mlay, uh, M- M- Mendel, and Pat as the as the contributing uh, artist. I think he got credited for... Was it Up in Arms or...? It stays, you know, additional personnel, William Gold William Goldsmith, drums on doll and up in there yeah well yeah maybe maybe he was he was so yeah you know there's not a massive amount of drums in in it but um yeah so he was he was he was um credited for for doll and um a little bit of open arms as well
0: yeah because i mean even as you were saying there it's something that i always it it's kind of annoying especially doll that it almost seems like it's the start of a really good song but then it just ends before it kind of goes anywhere because you're expecting it to kind of really go for it but it seems like he just cut out of a lot of the a lot of the track and just condensed it into the best parts of the song and just went, There you go. But that that's Mm. the way I always find it. Like it's it's all the kind of nice little bits in it. And it's just condensed in and then it's yeah. 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 It's kind of cool. But um yeah uh so track number two is obviously one probably one of the more famous tracks, Monkey Wrench. And uh, the earliest public performance, just one of those things that I kind of was looking up and it was kind of cool. The earliest public performance of the song was during an episode of TFI Friday on May 2nd, 1997 at wow. the Channel 4 studios in London. Like I used to watch TFI Friday. It's, a lot of people watch TFI Friday and that was kind of cool. And um, The music video for the song was the first, first to feature Taylor Hawkins on drums, although the actual drum track is performed by Grohl, of course. But um, yeah, Taylor Hawkins, at that time, he was drumming with Alanis Morissette, but she she was huge at the time. He wanted to obviously go drumming in a rock, a heavier rock band. And uh, yeah, yeah. So lyrically, in terms of Monkey Ranch, Grohl has said that the song is about realizing that you are the source of of all the problems in a relationship and you love the other person so much you, you want to free them of the problem, which is actually yourself. That's, that's pretty. That's a pretty hard kind of thing to admit, but yeah, the monkey wrench thing, I guess, is one of those kind of spanner in the works, messing up emotions and fucking up the, the relationship, I guess. But actually, admitting it, I it's, co- it's a great track, I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Unreal tune. Right. So, song number three is uh, "Hey Johnny Park." You know, typical Dave Grohl with the uh, with the um, the drum the drum intro, but um, it's deadly. It's one of my all time favorite Foo Fighters songs for a long, long time. Um, so you got that great drum, the drum uh, fill at the start along. Then you hit, kick in with the guitar riff and then it just kicks in. And uh, it's um, it's a great song. You know, it just just grabs you straight away, like it just makes you listen. You know, some say that the uh, the song is about Kurt mm-hmm. Cobain, but uh, Dave, he, he's come out and said, um, he said the song is about 15 different things. He said the only reason it's called Hey Johnny Park is because when he was young, his best friend was a kid who lived across the street called Johnny Park. And they were like brothers from the age of five to twelve, and he hadn't heard from him since he was about fourteen. And he thought if he named a song after him, he might give him a call. Wow! <laughs> so yeah, so um, that's pretty pretty random for a for a song name, but um, it's um, it was it's it's also written by Grohl, Smear, and and uh, Nate. You know, it it has a you know the, the breakdown in the song, like it's really really nice breakdown, it has really good like sort of phase effect. You know, the, the drum the drum phase effects when yeah when it comes kicking back in. It's just a just one of those songs. You know, you just. You just um, you hear it and instantly you're you're um, you're hooked by it. Like you know, you're listening and you're tapping away. It's a great tune.
0: Definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. In terms of the food, I I you, you kind of don't necessarily think like after Monkey Wrench, what track could actually kind of kick its ass? And I every time. I pretty mm-hmm. much skip Monkey Wrench to go straight to Hey Johnny yeah. Park. <laughs> I yeah, still listen to Doll, but I would skip Monkey because it's just you've you've heard it so many times. It's one of those kind of songs as well. But yeah, straight in Hey Johnny Park, great, absolutely stonking track.
1: Yeah, yeah, one one of my favorites,
0: hundred percent. So, um, track four on the Color and the Shape is My Poor Brain. Um, I love the name of it. Yeah, great name. And it, it's the intro is very. Um, very off kilter in kind of terms that it there's no it's kind of coming in after i think it was a jam session or something that they were doing it could have been after even hey johnny park they might have had an extra bit on the track yeah. and it's kind of fading out and spiraling it sounds like all over the place mm. and then it you know it kind of kicks in but i mean yeah my poor brain it's like this song's an experiment with dynamics uh whether it's the lyrics or the sound of the song it's just going from dreamy vocals to screamy vocals and Jackson five to Black Sabbath. Sling it all in there. Apparently there that's what Grohl said about it. The Jackson Five to Black Sabbath, which is kind of cool. So obviously, yeah, he Grohl likened the disparity in sounds to changes from the Jackson mm. Five to Black Sabbath. That's some band when you think of the Jackson Five doing Black Sabbath. Yeah. Or Black Sabbath doing the Jackson Five.
1: <laughs> no, that would be that that'll be um that'll be a great sort of tribute, wouldn't it? Jackson Sabbath. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah, in in the lyrics um apparently this is another kind of thing that things are going okay for the person like could be girl and the girl then he has a blackout and becomes an angrier more intense version of himself like mm. a manic depressive kind of saying that I can't save you from my poor brain. He wishes he could be normal, but he can't and he's sorry for it. Yeah. That's obviously one of those things that that's where Grohl kind of mentioned that stuff but it, it could like it obviously is the kind of slight breakdown in the album in terms if we are talking about the therapy kind of stuff that it is mm-hmm. that kind of a bit off the kind of out of the radar and in, in terms of knowing what the hell is going on
1: yeah and that's yeah
0: that's my poor brain
1: yeah well I, I thought when i listened to my poor brain i thought you, you know the intro the intro would is something that you would you would hear like uh, i hate to sort of reference dave grohl and nirvana all the time like but it definitely is something that you would hear at the start of a Nirvana song or, you know, in between songs or something at a Nirvana gig or something. It's quite quite loud and just doesn't make sort of sense, you know, until until it kicks in.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it has that kind of trail. It's kind of, you kind of, it's almost, it's actually probably more addictive to kind of hear that than just the beginning of My Poor Brain because it actually Mm. kind of, you know you're kind of going what the hell was that i want to hear what that was but it's kind of it's gone even before you kind of realize what it is so
1: yeah yeah that's a great track yeah absolutely um so wind up is an excellent which is uh another favorite it's another it's um a nice little sort of guitar note at the start and then just the drums come in and just just the beats on the snare that sound great you know re- really powerful like you know a two the two chord hits at the end it's just um, them just Really heavy riff. It's a really, really good song. You know the the, the breakdown. You know it's, it's kind of a short song as well. Like you know it's kind of mm. it kind of hits straight into a bridge straight after the chorus and stuff like that, you know. But during the breakdown, it's the you know the timing at the end. You know the guitar solo where the whack comes in and yep. uh, just the complexity of the of the riff. Like you know and trying to keep up with the um with the timing of the bass and and the and and the and the drums. Like you know it's a tricky one to come back into the main riff. You know when everything just sort of stops and. Uh, mm does um, that does that guitar know but we 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 play that often like you know and I, I just always watch Charlie <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he went out of it but um so grow confirmed it's it's a story of um the relationship between a journalist and musicians mm. it's basically that that's what the that that's what the, the song is about I love it it's it's yeah. manic.
0: And as you said, the, some of those changes are, yeah, they're they're bonkers. The, yeah. But the, it it has to work. I think that's the kind of thing about it, is that when mm-hmm. it does kick in, just seems to kind of drag itself near the end to kind of eventually kind of sort itself out, sort of. And it stops yeah, it is.
1: It's it's, you know. it's really cool, like it. Just the way the way that it's um, the way that it all comes together, like you know, and how how it's written. You know, I suppose maybe as you said, you know, maybe that's the um, the influence of the producer on the whole the whole thing. Like you know, you know, trying to push them to to, to uh, just be that little bit different and and better. You know.
0: Mm. Well, I I think even that the just talking about that in terms of pushing them. I I know Norton probably scrapped about maybe six or seven songs from hmm. what Grohl had actually thought about i'm uh. kind of not sure what happened to them i mean he might have thrown them onto one or two other albums but yeah yeah i mean from what nate mandel even talked about in one of the kind of interviews that he had about the whole production of it he said that there was kind of points where we were kind of had two or three really kind of first album kind of tracks and then norton would go no that's rubbish that's weak get rid of it so mm-hmm. just dump the song and he was saying that that happened multiple times, and eventually they did get up to these kind of the quality of the actual album. So yeah, you know, a stuff like when you think about stuff like, uh, let's say, wind up, it wouldn't have sounded good if it wasn't done like that. It's it's one of those weird ones that it works perfectly, and maybe that is Norton's influence with it. Nearly killed the guys doing it, but it yeah, you can hear it, the pain of that it. that result at the
1: end of it is like, yeah. savage, yeah. Um.
0: So what's the next number six? Is up in arms, and from what Grohl says about this, that it's a typical love song, it's almost like a knack song. Like the knack, yeah. If you know the knack, the dude, um,
1: yeah, my Sharona, my Sharona, yeah,
0: and the rest of them. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just a simple pop song yeah so it's that kind of people use the term up in arms when someone is ready to fight uh, this song is about a relationship that continuously fails but there is a special connection that is worth fighting for apparently Grohl is saying that he's ready to fight for this relationship again mm-hmm. so I guess that's maybe five stages of kind of that thing where it could be yeah you know absolute rage and anger and then this is kind of optimism as such kind of maybe you can yeah i'm going to go for it again and try yeah, to maybe the... maybe that's
1: the 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 uh, what you call it, the couple therapy you know where they they always say they're they'll give it one more go you know <laughs> um
0: yeah not that's up in arms like it it's it's one of them as well it's it's just another very very pop song
1: yeah um, great intro again though. great song
0: and apparently it's grold's favorite track off the album which really yeah like i think when we were talking about getting rid of one song see i probably wouldn't but it, when you kind of look at the rest of the tracks mm. yeah. yeah
1: yeah i suppose yeah
0: but it'd be you know i wouldn't want it necessarily gone but it is one of those things that it probably would be lost in terms of all the other well <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe new way home actually no no it's, yeah I, I suppose
1: we you know <laughs> we we were we have the um you know we know what the album is you know we Mm. we don't know what the alternatives would have been or sounded at the time you know that's true there there is
0: actually now that i just remembered and i should have actually looked it up there is an alternative um there is outtakes of different tracks Mm -hmm. from the color and the shape
1: oh cool!
0: yeah so there we go like there's my poor brain and monkey wrench with william goldsmith on drums in terms with the demos there are on youtube you can actually listen to some of the alternative versions with william goldsmith's Mm -hmm. drums and we just had a quick listen there and you can actually hear there is a slight difference (laughs) obviously that's pre kind of mastered and kind Uh of all yeah sound wise like you know but you can still hear the difference i don't think it's as punchy or confident maybe
1: is that one of those like? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, the the this snare sounded like he was just hitting a hitting a bag of plastic or something. <laughs> yeah. know, it Didn't sound great at all. But anyway,s but as yeah. you said, that might be a bit a bit unfair because he there was no master in Ranton done yet at that point. Mm. Yeah, I think I think um, I think David made a good choice. Yeah, well,
0: Gail did, I'd say, more than yeah, yeah. There you girl. go. Yeah. So
1: yeah, that that was Bob's it up in arms. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So the next one another favorite well it's one of those signature kind of songs of uh foo fighters isn't it my hero yes um you know you, you you kind of know that the person who who wrote these songs you know is primarily a drummer previous to uh previous to release and you know what is his second album now writing writing songs like you know it's definitely after johnny park probably favorite sort of drum intro you know mm-hmm. and um just just when the bass the bass hits in as well like you know just sort of leading up to the to the big intro just to sort of put the but the riff down before it kicks in you know it's pretty pretty sweet the the little lead riffs that go through the verse as well you know and uh mm. it's just it's really it's really nice like you know and um they have a weird effect over the drums and the bridge as well and that's that's really cool it's um just a, an aside the very first gig i ever played with the lads in aviator derek and daniel Allen, was this nice. song. so yeah um these His his way of saying that when he was young he didn't have like you know your classical big rock heroes like you know or big sports star heroes he didn't want to grow up and be be something like that like you know his heroes were ordinary day people and uh, people that uh, have a lot of respect for and um, just just solid everyday people that that you can rely on. Some said they believe the song to be about Kurt Cobain again, and Mm. they they said in '97 that there is definitely an element of Kurt in the song, but I think he said years later again that you know it wasn't really. You know, there wasn't um, anything to that. Um, So the video was directed by Dave Grohl, actually, and um, it features a man running into a building, a burning building to rescue a woman's baby. Um, another woman's dog and a frame picture of the first woman uh, yeah. the eyes of the baby and the dog are blocked out just to show that they represent people in need everywhere Pat Smear had left the band at this point because uh, he was he said he was exhausted and he didn't want to go on a, a tour to support the album it's the only video by the Foo Fighters to feature Franz Stahl who played um, with Dave Grohl in Scream yeah so, um, that's cool like- yeah yeah the I think it's just it's it's just one of those songs, you know, it's kind of, again, you just um, you got the really sweet drums and, you know, you just you're, you're hooked on it straight away. And it's kind of kind of poppy, you know, and it kind of, you, you know, the, the, the sort of the conflict, not conflicting, but um, different guitars, you know, you're going up, you're going up in one part, you're going down. One guitar is going up the scale, one is coming down and, you know, it's just just those little small things that that really sort of adds to the song
0: it's a chugger of a song like it even Mm. as you said drums wise you'd know it as well as you know another one bites the dust or we will rock you or you Mm. know that kind of that kind of stuff
1: yeah instantly recognizable yeah yeah Yeah. it is really cool
0: yeah like i always thought it was like for years you know that rumor did go around that it was about cobain but obviously i mean practically every song off those one or two first and second albums every song was about cobain you know, like you could easily exactly. say that, yeah. but yeah. but it wasn't, which was kind of. I am kind of happy to see that he actually, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't all about that, which was kind of nice for him to kind of be. Uh, not that Gil Norton would have even allowed him anyway. It seems
1: like he would have battered him. There stick if he There you go. He would have said, "No, no chance. This is about you."
0: <laughs> so, um, track eight. Um, see you. Hmm. So, like th- this is. It's very obscure. It's a bit. It's a bit odd. Yeah. Um I kind of like it though cuz it does in terms of the tracks it does throw off the kind of listener again. It's very happy but mm. almost like sickly sweet kind of happy. Yeah, yeah. Where it's it shouldn't really be in the middle of all the kind of chaos of that kind of stuff that was happening. And I I I love it. Like I always thought it might it should have been maybe after doll. It might have been a bit of an easier buzz for the album to kind of start but yeah
1: i i find it it's like it's really it's really kind of a such a change such a change in style you know of of um of music which kind of contradicts the whole um, theory of why they left the color and the shape off you know if that was too different yeah. style you know see you is definitely uh kind of like big me in in the in the foo fighters album you know it's kind of really really weird but really good but like, I, I it, it just even heard it, it says that
0: Grohl stated that it was just another pop song. It was the one song that nobody wants to put on the record. And this is his favorite song. Apparently, the other one wasn't. <laughs> I got that mixed up. So yeah, See You is Grohl's favorite track. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only reason it ended up on the record was that he did it, um a redid the drum track to make it sound like Crazy Little Thing called Love by Queen. And wow. when, I, when I was looking at that at on, I was like, Actually, it sounds exactly like that. It has that queen kind of sound to it. The, yeah. The kind of skiffly kind of sound to it. So yeah, I guess that like this song is, uh, is about when someone breaks up with you, apparently, mm-hmm. but you still really like them. They don't feel the same way about you, but it makes you feel good to see them. And that's where the line, I wish you only knew how good it is to see you. Hmm. comes from. So these steps I take don't get me anywhere. I'm getting further from myself. The line basically means you were trying to get get the person to like you in that way again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't work. In doing this, you don't act like yourself. So it's that kind of almost psychotic optimism where it's like, it's going to be grand. It's like, well, why are you ripping your pants off?
1: <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Are you angry?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> so... <laughs> So let's see you. Maybe just that, that was a very dark turn there now. Maybe it actually is a lot darker than we think. But
1: <laughs> well, that, that was that was grand, I thought. So the next song is um, Enough Space. It's a song, it's um, I, I think just just when I heard it sort of uh, listening back, you know, I think again, it's kind of r- sort of reminiscent a little bit of a, of a Nirvana type of song, you know, mm. um, sort of has a nice sort of tremolo effect there on on, on the song as well. Um, but um, Grohl said it's sort of it's a song. It's it's about a movie called Arizona Dreaming, which is one of his favorite films. I've never seen it. Um, oh, wow. Never, never, never heard of it really until until now. But um, there was he did mention the documentary, the Foo Fighters' Back and Forth documentary. That um, he had most of the song figured out um, in his head, but he had no tempo for it. Mm. And he said he said his his inspiration for the tempo it just came from jumping up and down. Because they said that that's a tradition at European rock concerts, you know, as opposed to mosh pits, you know, in American concerts. So he came up with a tempo of it from just uh, jumping up and down. You know, it's a song to jump up and down to. Nice. Um, yeah, and apparently it's a, it's it's just written by him, and it's um, apparently he wrote it quite early, and it was uh, he, would, he would they would play it at their very early concerts as well. Pretty cool background to it, especially how we just come up with the tempo by right, jumping up and down.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it definitely, yeah. It's it's a pretty badass, yeah, crazy kind of song. It really is, like from the the mad screaming to just complete silence, yeah. and to him singing again a little bit on the drums, and then it gets angry, mm-hmm. and then angrier, and then he's fucking pissed off, and then it's back to very clean guitar, very high vocal. Yeah, I love it. I love that. It. Like it's so yeah. manic.
1: Yeah, it's a great, great tune.
0: And I mean, the one thing, it, it it does sound like there's two songs.
1: Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's the, you know, the the, the, the bipolar sort of uh, relationship that, that they had. Yeah.
0: Um. So track 10, February Stars. I'll just read you what, what apparently Grohl has said. It's a song about hanging on by the tips of your fingers and hoping you don't slip and fall, which is kind of very hmm. sad and, yeah, Uh, the last stages of a relationship in which Dave had become a spectator and is trying to hold on to for as long as possible Mm. Um, and this is kind of speculation that because he he's he was involved in a number of separations around the time and kind of stuff during his life like his parents his wife and obviously with Cobain think this song is about the common characteristics of a dissolving relationship rather than an isolated incident so it could be like you know all mm. that kind of stuff. And I think even with Norton producing the album, Grohl did talk about even we talked about it earlier about the songwriting aspect that he did make him actually write decent stuff. Yeah. Regardless of what he even even if Grohl didn't think much of it. If it sorta of made made sense looking back on it, you can kind of see obviously therapeutic kind of thing that yeah. this is one song i always find it's a it's just one of those songs really quiet delicate kind of buzz to it but then when it kicks off the last kind of minute and 10 seconds it's it's stonking track like it's one of those tracks i love always love kind of messing Absolutely. around over like solos and stuff i just yeah. like kind of you know it's yeah. great. but yeah that, that's february stars probably one of my i think it's it's very underrated and i think it's because of the next track that's on the album <laughs> And what track is that, to Echo?
1: Yeah, the the uh, the be all and end all the Foo Fighters songs everlong. Right. So as we said earlier, it's it's one of those signature Foo songs, sort of alongside you know Monkey Wrench, my hero. Those those kind of tunes that you just instantly recognisable, and the way. You know, the way it's just kind of just starts off nice, low, clean guitar, like, you know, and uh, apparently it came about that Dave was playing his guitar between takes of Monkey Wrench in the studio. And it it was kind of it was in drop D tuning, you know, and he came up with a sort of very early version of the riff that would become Everlong. Um, Mm. So when they were on their on their holidays, then at Christmas, Dave Grohl, he was effectively homeless due to his divorce. And he slept um, in a sleeping bag at his friend's house and uh, he wrote the riff into a song. In in forty five minutes at home or in, in a sleeping bag in, in his friend's house, and um, he said the song is about a girl that you would fallen in love with, and it was basically about being connected to someone so much that not only do you love them physically and spiritually, but when you sing along with them, you harmonize perfectly. Um, so there was apparently there there is harmonies in the in the song on the courses and um, mm. over the over the lead guitar uh, at the start. It was um, apparently it was uh, Louise Post of Veruca Salt. Who we had started getting into a relationship with at that, at that time. So he recorded a demo of the song, anyways, not long after, and he played all the instruments himself. He he sort of says that that recording that ended up out of that is the exact same thing, pretty much. He ended up in the album, but it was sort of more raw. You know, it's not mm. as not as produced. Um, so Louise Post provided backing vocals. She was in Chicago at the time, <laughs> so um, her parts the. You know the the lead guitar riff on the at the intro, you know, and and harmonising on the chorus was actually achieved by she was called on two different telephone lines in the studio, one connected as a monitor and the other for recording, and that that's where that came from. So she was never actually in the studio to record it. Wow! It was over a telephone line.
0: So that's how you get that very thin, but not yeah, that just the the kind of as you, yeah that kind of telephone sound i guess it is there you go actually, yeah the i telephone guess it was actually, sound.
1: yeah literally done by a telephone yeah which is which is mad but um because the bit that comes up later in the song where it sounds like dave is on a he's on a telephone it sounds like a, it sounds like a telephone you know he's sort of whispering mm. so dave after that he, he said the song he said it was the first time he's ever played a new wave played a new wave beat, and um he said he said it was fun so um it is a really, you know, again a sort of signature drumbeat in in the verse. Like you know, the, it's uh, it, it sounds it sounds uh, really good. Um, the one of the most intriguing parts of the song is the breakdown, the breakdown part, and particularly the bit that I mentioned earlier, the whispering. Um, yeah. Nobody nobody could ever really tell what he's saying, you know, or or what it's about, or you know, it's. Um, some people said it was about like a technical manual or something and um you know just just reading random stuff off of this thing but um I looked I seen it on a website um Radio x website it was um and I, I listened along while I read these words and it does sound it does sound um does sound pretty close to what to what it was so apparently the words are so dad would take the Sundays off and that's the only time he could ever get any rest and so because we were allowed on Sundays He'd make us hold his construction boots over our head till he'd sleep, and they were really heavy boots. And I used to say, "Dad, come on, please," and like start crying because they're too heavy. So apparently, that's what he said in the in the breakdown part where he's where he's whispering.
0: Okay,
1: is so, that like no, a poem
0: or is um, it like kind of a?
1: What's it all? Yeah, it it kind of it, it kind of sounds like just. <laughs> Kind of sounds like his dad, you know. We wouldn't work on Sundays, and he just—I I don't know—is—is is it, you know, that he was sort of mad with them that they're all kind of loud in the house, you know? And I don't—I don't get to make us hold his construction boots over our head. That's a bit weird. Yeah. But, but um, you know, they were really heavy boots, so you know, would would we like dropping on them? Or I don't know. It's um, it's quite weird and random, you know. But uh, I listened, I listened uh, to to the breakdown and the words um while looking at them on the page and you know i i couldn't see where i couldn't see where they were wrong you know every word sounded sounded legit to what was there
0: it is that weird thing though when you do when you do actually kind of read the lyrics while you're listening to it. Like, yeah, I must try that. I'll give it, I'll give that a go later.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. It'll probably instantly make sense, but it's trying to listen because it where it is in the song that it is very manic, and then it just kind of it's starting to build up again just before it mm. goes into the last into the yeah. bridge, the last bridge or the last chorus. A uh, bit of both. So it kind of kind of kicks in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's um it's one to probably go back and and listen to you know I think you know if you if you're just just to play Everlong if you got anything out of this just to go back and listen to the the whispering part of Everlong and read read those um read those words along with it and uh, yeah it definitely sounds like a word for word what was what was on there
0: it's cool yeah I mean yeah. you can't deny that the song is one of those songs that mm-hmm. you know even even like the acoustic version as well. I was surprised yeah. actually how good it was when they did the the skin and bones uh tour the acoustic all acoustic tracks yeah. and I mean that mm-hmm. and my hero actually surprisingly worked um I was kind of surprised that both of them actually worked as well as they did um and I guess that's proof from the button that it does work if it works electric and it works acoustic it must be uh, you know a decent enough song. You know most. Yeah, point, absolutely. Yeah, the universal aspect of it.
1: I know it's, it's David Letterman. You know the talk show was David Letterman. I know it's his favorite song as well. Yeah, um, I think I think they came and performed it when he either when he was retiring from. Yeah. Um, late night or when he when he returned after being ill or something like that. But yeah, yeah, the, it's it's uh, it's his favorite song. Anyways, uh, David Letterman.
0: Just one that popped into my head because it's probably one of my mm-hmm. favorites, video wise. Yeah. It was directed by Michel Gondry. Do you know Michel Gondry? French no. uh director. He did um, Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah with Jim Carrey. and uh yeah, he did yeah, some yeah. crazy, crazy animation kind of stuff. Yeah, th- he's one of those visually he did White Stripes, uh hardest button to button. Do you know that track? That mm-hmm. video yeah. check out anyway, yeah. Go check out Michel Gondry's stuff. But when you kind of look at the actual video, it's it's inspired by Evil Dead, Land of the Giants and mm-hmm. some random kind of th- dreams that Gondry and Groll had talked about. So you can kind of see it in terms of like there's some great yeah. visual parts in it where I think Groll is out in the woods and he's picking up wood. And then he hears his his um is a Taylor Hawkins dress as a woman, I think shouting for a yeah. house. And he turns around <laughs> and he's in the bed. But as he gets up, the the wood is still in his hands when he wakes up out of the bed. And they turn into nunchucks. If you've never seen the video, have a look at the video. Yeah. And even if you haven't seen it in a while, do check it out. Because, I mean, it's especially some of the parts where the lads are in the bed and they kind of turn in where Taylor Hawkins is playing the drums and he just sits up and it, the bed turns into a drum kit. It's mad. No, no CGI as well, actually. It's all physical physical kind of models and stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Deadly. You know how, um, what do you call it? YouTube uh, has like um, captions now. I'm wondering if I'm wondering if it actually plays the captions of the choir part. Then, then you'd know, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, some, sometimes, sometimes they don't have. Um, sometimes uh, you know, like they don't have the the actual lyrics up on the screen, like or, or captions or anything like that. Yeah. But um, that would be an interesting one to uh, to to check out and see.
0: I think, like, I think it is. Like, I have heard those things that it was apparently a recipe, and it was him reading some, as you said, the industrial manual, and yeah. then that that little excerpt of whether it's a diary or a poem or I. Don't know, but no,
1: same as uh, I think. Uh, one of the lads that Derek had said to me as well that um, he thought it was like some kind of sports sports commentary as well. I think uh, no, I think I think um, definitely those those words um, that I read earlier that's just listening back to it that's definitely definitely what it sounds like what it refers to no idea
0: yeah well i mean it works doesn't it i mean it I mean, works Groll, Groll might have just picked up one thing or whoever else yeah i think it does it is Grohl though talking right like that's
1: yeah it is yeah.
0: yeah yeah um but yeah that's really cool oh no i well i was gonna say that you were talking about um the guitarist from uh verica salt I think that's yeah. maybe where they got the idea from that that they had the two phones in in the studio so maybe one of them was the monitor, and they recorded that with Grohl talking actually in the other phone and recording that. So maybe that's yeah, where the yeah, idea. exactly.
1: Yeah, because that's how the that's how the um, vocal harmonies are done through through a monitor from and into the into the other phone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So maybe I don't know. Yeah. That's maybe where he got the idea from. Maybe, but um, yeah, Perhaps, it's yeah. it's cool. Still, I think it's probably in the top three, in terms of people mm-hmm. liking Foo Fighter songs be in my yeah, top 100% one. yeah
1: <laughs> yeah it's definitely definitely in my uh, definitely in my top 5 like,
0: 100% but it's just one of those songs that we, you've heard so many times now like it's kind of it's still great yes. but yeah um i guess that's the kind of whole cool thing about listening back to these kind of tracks which we've been doing you kind of appreciate a lot yeah. of the ones that you probably skipped over because you wanted to hear the new single or you know yeah, the heavier absolutely. track yeah. or, you know but, 100% um, yeah. Um, so the next track, track 12, or is Walking After You. And this uh, this is one of these ones that I think after, like, I always thought maybe Everlong should have really closed the album because I think it, you can't really beat it in terms, mm-hmm. I think Foo still close out most of their gigs with Everlong. Maybe just an extra kind of two or three kind of songs after it, but that's usually the one of the closing songs. But straight after was walking after you which if you haven't heard the track or if you're wondering you might have heard it years ago and you can't remember go and have a listen to it it's it's so delicate like so quiet there's no distortion in it because <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things that you after everlong and after the the manic kind of buzz of the rest of the album you're expecting it to kind of kick up a notch and no it doesn't it, it just actually stays at the same tempo yeah, and I think that's for Grohl anyway. That I think it showed a different side of his songwriting—that he actually could write stuff without distortion, which I think maybe he just kind of didn't really want to do it, but it ended up kind of coming out. The part with this is that it—it it was written and recorded, obviously, by Grohl, but it was recorded on his own in a studio in Washington. You probably noticed already, but the um the the, this version appears on the album the one that he was recorded so the band would later re-record the song with the with all the guys like all the members for the x-files soundtrack and this version was released as a single Grohl stated that walking after you was an emotional sappy song about getting dumped (laughs) so i mean yeah it's 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 pretty uh bleak but um the The whole thing with it um, was that as a result of trying to muster as much emotion as possible, Grohl broke down during the recording of the vocal take, which ended up being used in the final mix. Now, for years, you might have heard me rant on about this, Deco, but ages ago, um, there's a part uh, roughly four minutes and six seconds in because I went back and checked it. For years, it sounds like Grohl is slightly out of tune with one of the harmonies, and it always wrecked. I'm not the best with harmonies. You know that. But in terms with this, for years, it's boggled my mind. It wrecked my head thinking, how would, or why would he leave a harmony that's slightly off in it? Mm -hmm. And apparently it was because he did it in one take. And that's where the kind of emotion comes out. So you can hear his voice kind of tremble in a bit, but it kind of jumps kind of off and on. And it's, so like, just have a listen to the song. Like, it's near enough to the end. Four minutes and six seconds, roughly, just just before, just after right. that, roughly, it kind of comes in. But he, it just boggled my mind after the rest of the album and that one part where it kind of wobbles a bit on the vocal. And I thought it was me. Yeah. It was like maybe that was on purpose, but it actually like it was just one take. I don't think he wanted to do it again. So that was the crap. Yeah, yeah,
1: You're you're, you're bang on. Yeah, it it is. Um, it does sound like he goes. Oh, it almost sounds like an auto tune going on. Yeah, going that's, off or going that's wrong exactly. Or
0: yeah, I mean that yeah. was before. Well. It was yeah, well it was around no, it was before Autotune being used as yeah. so much now, but yeah, yeah he was the first share and yeah. all that shit. <laughs> first it was Grohl.
1: <laughs> yeah, then sure. But yeah. Nice.
0: So yeah, that's walking after you. And I think it definitely gave a bit more uh notoriety in terms of Grohl after because it it was it was on the X Files in the X Files movie, but it was at the end with the end titles. So probably right, most people yeah, didn't actually yeah. see it because they'd probably left the cinema. Yeah, but it was that thing where the track—I think the X Files soundtrack was huge at the time, um, because obviously it had loads of. I mean, it was you know it was a big enough kind of movie when it came out, um, and that kind of gave another aspect of Grohl's writing in terms of Foo Fighters, mm-hmm. so it kind of opened another audience in terms of the the nice kind of song <laughs> with the auto with the auto tune on it. <laughs>
1: what about the other tune? Nice, nice guy, Dave Grohl. He's always uh, he's always known as the nice guy, isn't he? So yeah. He's uh, It's um. No, it is. It's a great tune. Yeah. Um. Then there's uh, on the '96 release, it was um, it was uh, the last song, number mm. thirteen, "New Way Home." It's kind of you know as as you said um about before like you know um February Stars and stuff. It's kind of you know kind of. It, you know, it, it's not a, It's not one of the, the major tracks. Like you know, it's not. It's not one that would, people would um, remember. You know, it's kind of. Um, it's you know, it's it's about it's about winding your way through. Dave Grohl said it's about winding your way through all of these songs, the emotions and the pitfalls and ups and downs. But at the end of the day, you realize you're not scared anymore and you're going to make it. Okay. Um, just um, just seen on. Um, you know, it, it, apparently, Grohl he longs for his hometown and recall he recalls the drive there, um, on Highway 99. And he said throughout the journey, he said, "I realize it's okay, and I can make my way through all of this, and I'm not freaked out at the end." That paired with the other, with the other, um, information he he said about it, you know, it was kind of the mm. new way home, kind That's of, cool. uh, you know, kind of, um, kind of, you know, not not as not as well known a track, kind of. Oh uh, yeah, like a filler, kind of. Ish. Yeah. But yeah like, I mean obviously it's
0: not, but it it I mean the majority yeah. of the time, any time that I've seen the foos, I've seen them about seven times now, but like yeah, mm. they like they played that track most of the time and it would be play fucking ever long. It wouldn't be you know, I know yeah, one of those yeah. where it usually was they used to do a lot of build ups with that track. I remember that. Seeing them during, oh, okay. yeah, build the up year, into year another doubles. yeah
1: fill up into another tune. Yeah, I couldn't really find the massive amount of information about that tune Now I won't, I won't like. Just um, just, uh, just just that, really.
0: Yeah, I think it, it is kind of like, especially as we were talking about it, that it was technically the last track on the album um, mm-hmm. yeah. back when it was first released. But I guess it is a kind of, a, as I was saying, I was trying to think of words when you were asking me to think of words, but I guess it is kind of the end of the actual album, that there is a kind of a, a full circle that he's kind of the closure yes. he's happy with himself or happy that he's not in the situation or he's happy in the situation he is now
1: the new way home. Like, you know, he's, he's kind of, he, his, his life has changed. Like, you know, he's, he's kind of has to go on a new road. Yeah.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's, 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 a, it's a good song. Yeah. That, that's it though. Like, I mean, I think it is, an, as you said, it is another underrated song, but because I think Everlong kind of blows Mm-hmm. they are sort of the second part of the album i think it, yeah, if all absolutely. the other tracks were i think if if that was before everlong i think it would probably be a lot i don't know it's just now that's me talking about it from like a 16 year old listening to it for the first mm-hmm. time but not being able to skip you know because you want to listen to every track i don't think that yeah. happens anymore i think people just stick shuffle on albums now do they mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah i don't i don't shuffle albums i shuffle a playlist but not albums um, obscure, obscure was the word I was looking for. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's one of them. Like I, but I just find that if Everlong was the last track on the album, I think uh-huh. it would have been a better closure. I don't know, but it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't fit it though. I guess. Yeah. It, that journey thing, the therapy session.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's um. It could have, it could have, you know, because the whole fact that, you know, in, in Everlong, he, he does describe that he'd fallen in love with somebody new, you know, and it yeah. was connecting to someone so much that you love them physically and spiritually and you can sing along with them and you harmonize perfectly. You know, that could have been a good, a good, um, a good way out of the album, you know?
0: Yeah. So the next track, I guess, well, technically the next track and it was on, it was uh, the color and the shape, the actual name of the album, obviously. So apparently, It was first on, as a B-side, on the Monkey Wrench single. And then I think because there was such a... Fans were kind of saying it has to be kind of released because of the actual name of the song and the name of the album, Mm -hmm. that it was released on The Colour and the Shapes' 10-year anniversary release. So, I mean, that's... As I said, that's the first time I heard it. I was shocked. I couldn't believe... Like, I was nearly sure that there was something out there, but, I mean, that was even slightly before YouTube and all that kind of jazz. So... That yeah. was yeah. It was a, it was a shock to me how chunky and heavy that song is. And if you've mm. never heard it, because obviously people have heard the name of the album, but go and listen to that track if you want an extreme. <laughs> it's just a it's it's a complete ride in terms of that. Like where it just kind of takes you all over the shop, and the little breakdowns and all the kind of out of control spiral. It's almost like a kind of a, a shake off in terms of. Grohl kind of getting album out of his system that's the way I, anytime i mm-hmm. hear it it just seems like he went i'm gonna do whatever the fuck i want on this track i'm gonna scream my guts out and i'm gonna just absolutely shake it off <laughs> or whatever but, yeah uh, apparently the lyrics apparently the whole song is is Grohl kind of parodying the average redneck macho male kind of stuff about it so he's kind of saying shit that you know he doesn't really want hmm you know, it's just that thing of, yeah. But you never know. It could be just Grohl absolutely losing his fucking mind in the studio and just going, I just need to get rid of this track out of my head.
1: Yeah, kind of the same as, uh again, going back to Nirvana, which I don't like doing, but, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Mustache is the is the same same subject matter, isn't it? Yeah. So about the macho, macho males, you know?
0: Yeah, well, even, yeah. I mean, we can talk about that again with maybe one of the other... Mm-hmm. other episodes but yeah they're like obviously Grohl played on those tracks so that's, exactly yeah that's either him being inspired by being in the band with nirvana or it was him that was making them kind of do that stuff but either way you know it works yeah and that you can clearly hear that radio friendly there you go that's mm. the track i was trying to think of earlier radio friendly unit shifter off yeah. in utero i mean that has the same buzz as um enough space and yeah. kind of that kind of um uh, My pro Brain That mm-hmm. kind of stuff Yeah mm-hmm. It has yeah. that kind of manic Thing yes, to start exactly, Yeah exactly You are talking about
1: This weird intro Yeah Yeah exactly Yeah just all over the place But um
0: Yeah I think it works I mean In terms with I don't know whether you want to go through Each of these tracks Or will I just Kind of say them out
1: Um I, I was just going to say the, the, About the name The You know the colour And the shape About the um You know the Americans usually spell Their colour with Without the U Oh yeah But um the only reason they spelled it with the U on the album is as a tribute to um, Gil Norton because he's British. Oh, yeah. So they left the U in simply because it's a uh, it's um, UK uh, way of spelling the word.
0: No, it's it. So I didn't know. even think about that. Yeah. So even in the states, it's actually with
1: that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. People are probably thinking that he spelled it wrong then in the states. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And maybe maybe he's just. Maybe just making it up because he made the mistake that oh, our, our producer is British. We just say it's for him.
0: Maybe. You know what? He probably <laughs> wrote it down in the kind of text. He probably wrote it up and put it down as the mastered, the colour and the shit. Yeah. I mean, that, that could yeah. have
1: been it actually as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I read that online. Well, you know, whether it's true or not, I have no idea, but it's a good story either way. That's pretty cool. Uh,
0: yeah. So in terms of just like I have and I was we were talking about it earlier before we came on to record that mm-hmm. I have the original one from like ninety six, whatever on CD. I can't find the tape. It's probably long robbed from a house party. Yeah. I can't I can't remember where it is, but I also got the ten year anniversary one and on that they're pretty much self explanatory. I mean all they are really are that they're cover versions songs and i was um saying another album if you're if you're like obviously if you know the kind of foo fighter stuff like you probably know most of the albums but there's an album called medium rare i think you can probably get it on amazon or even ebay or one of those places you could probably get it pretty cheap i don't think it's on spotify i think that's even we were talking about it earlier but it has loads of kind of cover songs, it's got Bad Reputation, Baker Street and all that kind of stuff. Actually, it's probably just on YouTube, I just realised, it's probably up on YouTube. But with the with the bonus 10 year anniversary edition, it had Requiem, which was a killing joke cover, Drive Me Wild by Prince, but it was like Vanity Six, so it was Prince and kind of in it. Then there was uh, Down in the Park, um, was Gary Newman track, Foo Fighters also did Baker Street that's one of the coolest kind of covers in terms of, I did not think that anybody could beat the saxophone on Baker street until I heard the guitar <laughs> kick it in. And that's Baker street is obviously a Jerry Rafferty song. Yeah. Class really. love that song, but the version is pretty good. It's it's nice and heavy and mm. it complements the song pretty well. Then there's dear lover, which is another Foo Fighters track. I think that could have been one of the B sides. And then obviously the color and the shape was the last track on the kind of 10 year anniversary thing. So yeah, it oh, obviously yeah. those tracks, obviously didn't work They wouldn't work if they were banged in with the rest of the tracks but i think it was just around the time the lads were probably messing around i know hawkins and Grohl definitely were big into a lot of kind of stuff and kind of messing around they do it a lot at any of the gigs They do a couple of cover versions but um yeah have a listen to all that stuff you can get all that stuff on youtube i I do know definitely medium rare album it's got a Mm -hmm. picture of a of a giant steak
1: steak yeah i'm i've actually just looked at youtube now it's it's um there's a playlist there of all the songs yeah uh, yeah
0: like just for foos fans in general or if you're wondering what how would foo fighters sound doing a thin lizzy song bad reputation is yeah Hmm. it's fun yeah and band on the run
1: yeah band on the run class yeah
0: um yeah that's i mean i think that's pretty much it in terms with that deco is it
1: yeah i think that went pretty good
0: yeah, I don't think. Is there anything else you want to talk about then? I guess that's it. Eh, no, 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 that's, yeah. that's, um, that's, I
1: think everything's really well covered there.
0: So that's the end of our episode in terms of listening to and talking about. Hopefully you might have listened to the album while we were talking about it. That might be a really cool idea to do. That's us done. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Trivia Album. Um, so from myself, Stephen Carney, and from myself, Deco Lang, we'd just like to say thanks very much for listening and, Ciao, <laughs> see <Here's laughs> guys.